thank you so much for leading us in worship. What a wonderful thing it is to have our hearts touched with the promises of God, right? It's always such a blessing we come and we pray, we sing, we read scriptures. Isn't it wonderful to know we're not just making this up, that it is a living reality of our God who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all we ask or think. He's able to break through that which is unbreakable, to accomplish that which is impossible. For with our God, nothing shall be impossible. We're going to see that as we look to the book of Genesis this morning, chapter 37. If you'd turn there, just a few minutes, we'll get started with a new series that begins this morning, but... Also, we are beginning this morning in the next few weeks a little bit of change in plans. You heard some of that earlier in the announcement in terms of our schedule. And as we did uh, last summer as well, we're uh, going to have several weeks where we have a little bit more of a, a team preaching approach. And we are so blessed with some incredible teachers, preachers on our staff, right? And I'm becoming a little embarrassed. So many of them are so much more educated now than I am. (laughs) But we're grateful. And so uh, this gives an opportunity both here and in the hub for some of them to share. And uh, over the next uh, few weeks, uh, I'm going to have a little bit of time to focus some on some mission ministry. Also speaking here as well. Uh, Some planting, uh, planning. Uh, Some writing. I have a a deadline from Coach Lisa to have this book done by August 31st. (laughs) And I will make that by God's grace. I also uh, enjoy a little bit of vacation. And Susan and I will be actively involved in Camp Grandma and Grandpa. Okay? (laughs) Camping program over on Stockton Drive. So we're uh, thankful for uh, this season that's coming up. But also, I want you to know about uh, this Sunday and the next 11 coming Sundays, we'll be involved in a a message series here on the life of Joseph. I'm so excited for us to have this time to consider this incredible, incredible life that's lived out for us in the pages of God's Word and speaks for us and to us to this very day. And so... Beginning this morning and through the end of July, we'll be having our time in the Word focused on uh, this wonderful life of Joseph. Now, it's amazing as you think about that the life of Joseph covers one-fourth of the book of Genesis. God just gave five words to the creation of the stars. (laughs) But he gave uh, 14 chapters to the life of this incredible servant. Joseph is a life full of principles for us to apply. It is completely up to date. It is not ancient history. It's a living reality. But it's also full of images of Jesus. In all the Word of God, I think Joseph is the great type of the favored son of the father and so as we saw in the end of our series the gospel of Luke that Jesus 
revealed himself to his disciples in his resurrection, but also revealed himself to them in the word because he said, they testify of me. We're certainly going to see that in the life of Joseph. Joseph's life testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the focus of Joseph's life is found in two dreams. Two dreams which are actually in many ways one and the same. Two dreams but they're really one and the same. And these dreams (laughs) enraged his brothers. We heard that as the scripture was read to us today. But these dreams also startled his father, Jacob. And so this morning we want to begin and focus on this dream of Joseph and how it is connected to the dream that was first shared to Abraham and carried through to the life of Joseph, and actually is carried on to this very day. Now let's read about this dream. I want you, if you're looking at Genesis 37, let's focus on this dream today, verses 5 to 11. Now Joseph had a dream. And we told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. And he said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. And then he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father, that is Jacob, and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream you have dreamed? Shall I... And your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you. And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying. That is, he pondered this saying in his mind. Now I want us to pause for prayer. Could we do that please? Let's pray together. Lord, you are the one who is able to do it beyond all that we can imagine. And Lord God, your power is unsearchable. And your power is made known in incredible grace in the midst of awful darkness and hate. And Lord, I come to you this morning... On behalf of grieving families in Buffalo. I pray that you will pour your grace and mercy upon them. I pray that you will care and minister to the injured. I ask that your people 
and your name will wrap your arms around them and love them. Lord, we pray for our country and this culture of death and hate. Lord, help us to be instruments of your peace. Help us in the midst of this culture to be people of love and life. Lord, in the darkness, may the living reality of Christ our Lord triumph and shine forth. We ask in His name, and God's people said, Amen. Now, Joseph's life is about that dream. It is the center of his life. It is the focus, really, of his life. And so this morning, as we open up our time of looking at the life of this incredible man, I want us to do it in relation to this dream that's connected to an even greater dream. So I'd like you this morning to think about Joseph and this, this light living the dream. Living the dream. And it's a dream that was lived out in delay. A dream that was lived out in dysfunction. A dream that was lived out in disaster. But a dream that lived out and showed forth God's divine providence. It's our focus this morning. Now, this dream is the context, I say, for Joseph's entire life. And it's really the center of this message, these series of messages that we're going to bring all come forth from this dream that Joseph had. But what I want you to see as we get started this morning, make sure we understand the life of Joseph, understand the context for this dream that was given to him, is to connect this dream, these two dreams, which are actually one and the same, as I said, to connect them to previous dreams of the patriarchs, the dreams that had come from God to the patriarchs. But the dream was delayed. Now the dream was first given by God to Joseph's great-grandfather. Joseph's great-grandfather was Abraham. And God visited Abraham, called him out of the area of the earth, the Chaldees, Mesopotamia, called him to go to a land that would be showed to him. He was 75 years of age when a call came upon him and he traveled with his family, with Sarah's wife. And now it is 199 years, if you check the chronology carefully, and it's a challenge, but I tried to do it this week. 
It's 199 years since Abraham received his great dream that's shared with us in Genesis chapter 15. If you're there and you'd like to look back, Genesis chapter 15. Abraham, Joseph's great-grandfather, was given this dream. Chapter 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. He's 75 years of age when he was called. He and his wife, Sarah, advanced at age, childless. The promise first given when he was 75, and the years passed, 25 long years. No child born to Abram and to Sarah. But then, when Abram was a hundred years of age, Sarah, at the age of 90, conceived. And who wouldn't laugh about this? And that's exactly what they named their son, Isaac. Laughter. And if he filled their hearts with joy. And you remember the story how Isaac was the beloved son that through Isaac would come the promise, this promise that God had made to Abraham. God asked Abram to offer up his son as a burnt offering. And you remember the incredible, amazing deliverance where there on the top of Mount Moriah... A ram crowned with thorns was offered up in the place of Isaac. And the name of the place Abram gave it was Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Isaac was a young man when that happened to him. Years and years and years passed by and then the dream is passed on to Isaac. Turn, if you would, to chapter 26. This patriarchal dream is given to Isaac. Chapter 26, verses 1 through 4. 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your offspring, 
I will give these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. Here again is the great patriarchal dream that from Abraham through Isaac nations would be blessed. Isaac is married to Rebekah and they are childless for 20 long years. But after 20 years when Isaac is the age of 60 born to Rebekah the twins Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob. And God said that the younger will rule over the elder. The blessing would be to Jacob. Jacob, who means the one who grabs the heel. That's <laughs> how he was born. And he lived that way. The ultimate trickster. Even tricking his brother, as you remember, out of his birthright and the patriarchal blessing. Esau hated him. And Esau told him, it will be payday someday, buddy. And Jacob, with encouragement of his mother and fear in his heart, fled. He fled to the land of Haran, to the relative Laban, his uncle Laban, who he found out is a bigger trickster than him hard as that is to imagine but on the way as Jacob is fleeing he has the dream look at chapter 28 the dream comes to Jacob verse 10 Jacob left Beersheba which is in the far south he went toward Haran which is up in the area of Syria he came to a certain place and stayed there that night. And because the sun had set, taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth. Top of it reached to heaven. Behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord God stood above it and said, I am the Lord. The God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. There it is again, this patriarchal dream coming from God to Abraham to Isaac and to Jacob Jacob goes on to Haran and God's blessing is upon Jacob and he is the trophy of God's grace it's all of grace because in so many ways Jacob was a rascal just like us Finally, after many years, he returns a rich man. He comes back to the land of Canaan, limping back. 
He comes limping back because he's had a close encounter of the divine kind. God has wrestled with him all night, brought him to his knees, brought him to a place where all he can do is no longer trick people, grasping their heel, tricking them. All he can do is just hold on to the legs of the Almighty and ask for his blessing. And what he had been conniving and trying to get by his wits all of his life, God literally had to wrestle him to the ground to show him, I'm all you need and it's been my desire to bless you. Boy, he's a lot like us. <laughs> Jacob comes back to Canaan. He comes back with two wives two concubines, Bilhah, Silpah, made servants to his wives. He has 11 sons. And the 12th is born soon after he returns. He names him Benjamin. His wife, Rachel, had died in childbirth and named him Ben-Oni, son of my sorrow. And Jacob named him Ben-Yamin, son of my right hand. So Jacob has this special love for his son Joseph, who is a young man at this time, maybe not yet in his teens. He loves him because he's his firstborn to his first love, Rachel. Jacob was 91 years old when Joseph was born to him. His father Isaac is still alive. When Joseph is born, Isaac is 151 years old. And Jacob and his family dwelled in the land of Canaan, but the dream was still not realized. Still, the family was very few in number. And the, they were strangers and sojourners in a land that had been promised to them as their own possession. They were strangers and sojourners in a land given to them. And finally, the, the dream came to Joseph. And Joseph is at... One and the same time, the beloved son and the hated brother. He's special and beloved and favored by his son, Jacob. But he is hated by his brothers. Really, his half-brothers. They despise him. And the dream came to him. Not when he was an old man. The dream came to him when he was 17 years of age. The age of 17. His father is now 108. And his grandfather Isaac is still alive. 168. The dream comes to Joseph. And when the dream comes, it comes in the midst of complete dysfunction. 
When the dream comes to Joseph, he gets his dream in dysfunction. Now, people often say, I come from a dysfunctional family. And I understand the meaning of that. I'm, I'm sensitive to the painful reality that people come sometimes from very dysfunctional families. But I also think it's true that we ask, who doesn't? I'm still waiting to meet the person who will tell you, you know, my family's not dysfunctional. Why is that? Because we're all part of the family of Adam and Eve. Dysfunction comes out of sin, the sin nature. We are a family of sinners. And dysfunction is in the very DNA of the human mind and soul. But... Of all the truly dysfunctional families, it's hard to imagine one more dysfunctional than Joseph's family. I mean, at modern times, the family of Joseph, his, his immediate family, they would have been prime candidates for Family Feud, America's Most Wanted, and the Jerry Springer Show all wrapped into one. You can just imagine that show they would have been prime candidates to be on it. You can't even do a public reading of this family's activities without embarrassment. I couldn't read to you this morning without embarrassment and without your concern for what small children might hear. This family that Joseph was part of their lives were complete deception, greed, adultery, mass murder, and sexual perversion. That is Joseph's family. You can read about it. And then ask the Lord to give you a good brainwashing. <laughs> so when the text says here that Joseph brought an evil report. Do you see that back? Earlier, he brought an evil report to Jacob concerning his brothers. He's not just being a tattletale. The idea here is he's coming back to report something that is notoriously evil. Something is public and shameful in its depravity. We're left to imagine what it must have been, but better that it not be imagined at all. So Joseph, bringing truth to his father about what was happening, became the special object of their hatred. They hated him for his truth. They hated him for his coat that showed the favor that the father had upon him. They hated him for his dreams. And so finally, when he arrives one day on a mission... From his father, the father sends his favored son to go among his brothers. They see him and they decide to do away with this dreamer. Let's do away with this dreamer. And that's where you see that 
Joseph has this dream. It's long delayed. And it comes to him as a young man in a family of dysfunction. This, this dream from God comes to him in a family of complete dysfunction. And then this dream is in a disaster. The dream becomes a nightmare. What happens? Verse 23, chapter 37. Let's read about this. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. Think about that. It's just thrown their brother in a pit. Talking about killing him, murdering him. They sat down to have a bite to eat. And they look up and they saw a car caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way down to Egypt, coming down that great trade route run, running from Syria down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites. Let not our hand be upon him, for he is our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by. They drew Joseph up and they lifted him out of the pit. They sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. This dream... It's a nightmare. You cannot imagine. Can you imagine any more cold-hearted cruelty? To take your own brother, throw him in a pit, talk about murdering him and concealing it, talking about that while you're sitting having a little snack and he's listening. Can you imagine the terrified pleading of this teenage young man? How up from the pit he's crying in terror and fear, pleading for his life, pleading for his mercy from his relatives. We can't imagine. Imagine the utter hopelessness. If you are a 17-year-old young man, who has been doing the work of your father. You've been visited by God with an amazing dream and now you find yourself lashed with leather to a wagon trudging behind Midianite traders. You've been sold, trafficked by your own brothers as a slave to Egypt. dream has become a disaster. Where's the dream? You can imagine. 
What about the dream? But you can imagine what would, what would go through his mind, what would go through our minds. Where's the God of the dream? Where's the God who gave me this dream? He, he can't imagine, he can't understand the reality. Listen, God's right there. Friends, listen, God's silence is not God's absence. Never forget that. God's silence is not God's absence. God is here. He's with us. The God of Romans 8, 28. He causes all things to work together for the good of them who love God, who are the called according to His purpose. The God of Romans 8, 28 is also the God of Genesis 37, 28. When it says... They took Joseph to Egypt. God is there. For the dream he gave to Joseph in the midst of delay and dysfunction and hatred and disaster, what God has given no one can take away. And that dream will experience divine providence. And the divine providence is already here. Note what it says. They took Joseph to Egypt. The hated brother rejected and betrayed in Canaan will become for his people the beloved son and savior in Egypt. But to be the savior of his people in Egypt, he must go to Egypt. And he goes there for a dream to be fulfilled. For the promise of the patriarchs to go on that you will not just be a family, you will be a family of nations and in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed because it will be through Joseph that the dream will move from the family in Canaan and it will become the nation in Egypt see the Lord God had determined something you know what the Lord God had determined here's what he determined when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I have called my son. God had ordained that it would be in Egypt that Israel would become a great people. And out of Egypt he would call his son. Now in Joseph's nightmare... <laughs> His dream would be fulfilled. In Joseph's nightmare, the dream that God gave him would be fulfilled. 
Now, what are some takeaways from this for us this morning? And I just share these with you. As we consider Joseph, we consider his dream, how should we consider ours? Because guess what? We're all dreamers some way. How shall we interpret our dream? There was a man by the name of Sigmund Freud. He's considered the father of psychoanalysis. And he wrote many years ago an acclaimed book that's still referenced today, and I'm sorry if you've had to read it, <laughs> called The Interpretation of Dreams. The Interpretation of Dreams. Well, my friends, I want you to know that Freud is a fraud. What does Freud know about the soul? Who can reveal the soul but the one who gave it? Who can deliver the soul and change the soul than the redeemer of souls? How should we interpret and evaluate our dreams? Well, I'm going to ask you this, that we need to consider, are they worthy dreams? See, we have dreams, but are they worthy dreams? Three questions I give you, we close, our time is gone. But please consider these. Number one, is my dream rooted in God's revelation? Is my dream rooted in God's revelation? You see, this dream was a dream that was a revelation from God. It wasn't that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph came up with just a good idea for the family. No, it was from divine revelation and a worthy dream when you have a dream for your life if it's a worthy dream it will align with God's revelation my friend do not follow a dream that does not align with the word of God because I will tell you that dream is not from God Wherever it's come from, however it's rested into your mind, however it's captured your soul, if it does not align with the Word of God, do not follow that dream. Because a dream that's from God will align with His Word to lead you in the path of righteousness. It may not be an easy road. It may be hard and narrow, as Jesus said. But it will align with... With God's revelation, the dream that is based on God's word is a dream of faith. Faith. What is faith? Faith is trusting the promises, the principles of God, relying on the truth of God. Check your dreams by the word of God, my friend. Number two. Is my dream gripped by God's glory? Is my dream gripped by God's glory? Is the goal of the dream I have for my life, or the dream I have for others, or the dream I have children, or I have for my career, is the dream that I have for whatever the cause is, is it gripped by the glory of God? Will this dream 
advance and express the glory of God on earth? My friend, if a dream is gripped by the glory of God, no matter how hard the things get, that, that, that dream will remain strong and fresh. But why? Because a dream that's gripped by the glory of God is a dream that's, that's rooted in hope. In hope. Hope is not wishful thinking. Hope is understanding the ultimate reality as God Himself. And that nothing you could follow after could be more desirable than to know and express the glory of God. That's where hope is. You see, when it's your dream and it's not, it's not aligned with God's Word and it's and it's not about God's glory, but it's about our fame, our name. We can lose hope that in the midst of a life vision that's rooted in the Word of God, it's gripped by God's glory, there's faith, there's hope. But here's a third question. Is my dream committed to God's cause? Is it fueled? Is this dream that I have, is it fueled by the great commandment? What is the great commandment that God has for our lives? <laughs> love. <laughs> you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and your neighbor as yourself. If you have a dream that's fueled by love for God and love for your fellow man. That's a godly dream. It's a worthy dream. It's worthy of your life. When we love God and we love people, then, and only then really, can we impact our world. Evaluate your dreams. Dreams for yourself, for your children, for your business, for your retirement. Is it a dream of faith rooted in God's revelation? Is it a dream of hope gripped by God's glory? Is it a dream of love committed to God's cause, loving Him and loving others in His name? My friend, when you have a dream like that, you know what? It's a vision. <laughs> It's a vision. It's God's vision. Lord, I pray now that you will grip us with this great vision. A vision of the glory of God, the majesty of our Savior, the beauty of our Redeemer. Lord, grip us by this amazing grace. Lord, We just need you to be our vision. You are our exceeding reward. You are. Lord, we want to pray to you as we close and we sing it to you. We pray, oh Lord God, that you will be our vision. May your vision overwhelm 
May your vision astound us. Give us a vision, Lord, of you, knowing you, serving you, following you, and entering into your presence one day. Hallelujah. And all God's people said, Amen.